hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. We have a terrific show for you today. I want to start out with an academic segment on vaccine-induced myocarditis, that is heart inflammation manifested by chest pain, signs and symptoms of heart failure, laboratory evaluation with a strongly elevated cardiac troponin, a blood test for injury, EKG changes that show ST segment elevation diffusely in a, in a pattern that indicates myocarditis or myopericarditis, ventricular arrhythmias, and then in some uh, early left ventricular and sometimes right ventricular dysfunction. This has been a topic of great interest since attention in the vaccine program has turned away from seniors who need the most protection from COVID-19 to younger individuals and children who need little or no protection from COVID-19. And so uh, many have been focusing on the children in terms of the potential harms of myocarditis. So I wanted to review this with you and give you a couple key citations. The first one is by Anita Arola and colleagues. The title of the paper is Occurrence and Features of Childhood Myocarditis and Nationwide Study in Finland. And here, uh, ages um, up to age uh, 15, it's clear it's about 80% boys, 20% girls, and the rate doesn't really pick up until puberty. So I want you to understand that under age five, very low rates, the naturally occurring, this is before COVID-19 ever came. We know that parvovirus, adenoviruses, other forms of viruses can affect the heart. It's rare. Four cases per million per year. So when we apply that to the United States with our roughly uh, 70 million children, it should be four times 70. So we should have about 280 million cases per year. And I can tell you in the CDC US VAERS system, we currently have over 13,000 cases of vaccine-induced myocarditis. It's clear that we're way over the line in terms of excess cases. Now, in a paper, uh, uh, first author, Jessica Rose, I'm the second author. It's a report on myocarditis events from the US uh, uh, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System published in Current Problems of Cardiology. We demonstrated this peak in late teenage years. Again, uh, men far more than women, probably 90% men in the figure I'm looking at. And this rate tails off at about age 50. So the point is there's a long skewed tail to the right of the distribution in age. We had data that came in high-quality journals, a paper by Anthony Simone and colleagues uh, published in JAMA Internal Medicine, October 4th of 2021. 15 case series of vaccine-induced myocarditis, two out of the 15 already had reduced left ventricular ejection fraction. It means they were on their way towards heart failure. Now, a paper in the New England Journal of Medicine by Verma and colleagues from Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, August 18th of 2021, two cases. The first uh, was a 45-year-old woman uh, who developed uh, shortness of breath and dizziness 10 days after Pfizer uh, had a biopsy, clearly showed myocarditis. The second case was a 42-year-old man presented with uh, shortness of breath and chest pain two weeks after Moderna 
uh, and he actually died and had an autopsy. And so we had that in the American U.S. Uh, literature. To go on, Lim and colleagues published in Frontiers in Cardiovascular Medicine in the October 29th, 2021 issue, a previously healthy 38-year-old female who received a Pfizer vaccine uh, and then uh, seven days later presented with ongoing chest pain. She had dramatic EKG changes and then ultimately had complete flatline, had um, 10 minutes of CPR, and then uh, was placed on ECMO or extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, which saved her life. It otherwise would have been a fatal case. And the last case I have is by Choi and colleagues, published in the Journal of Korean Medical Sciences, October 18th, 2021. And this is a 22-year-old man who developed chest pain five days after the first dose of Pfizer, and then he died about seven days into the seven hours into the hospitalization. Massive inflammation in the heart, including uh, contraction band necrosis and damage to the cardiac conduction system. So uh, these cases are telling us that it's real. Uh, and that it can be uh, clearly uh, lead to heart failure as shown in uh, uh, multiple instances and then cardiac death. Now, Eliza Evolio and colleagues uh, in a preprint paper, title of it is uh, the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein disrupts human cardiac pericyte function through CD147 receptor mediated signaling, a potential non-infective mechanism of COVID-19 microvascular disease demonstrates that the spike protein itself can damage the pericytes, the support cells around capillaries that interface with uh, cardiomyocytes. Those are the cells that have the bands of actin and myosin. And the, uh, the proposed mediators of uh, inflammation and damage include interleukin-6, interleukin-1-beta, monocyte chemotractic protein-1, and tumor necrosis factor alpha. Uh, uh, thrombosis could also play a role, but it was clear in this uh, paper that indeed the um, spike protein can clearly damage uh, the heart. Now, a paper that's been spoken about uh, to a great degree is Tracy Hogan colleagues, published August 30th, 2021 in preprint from the VARES and VSAFE data in analyzing ages 12 to 17. The bottom line is 86% of these uh, young individuals were hospitalized when they developed myocarditis. Uh, the rates were far higher than the CDC had ever estimated and that for a boy, the chances of being hospitalized with myocarditis were greater uh, after the vaccine than it would be being hospitalized with COVID-19, the respiratory illness, and just foregoing the vaccine. Hogue showed again, boys far more than girls, explosive after shot number two, and the rates per million. Remember I said four cases per million per year is the baseline estimate from the paper from Finland. Hogue has this rate now after the vaccine at 94 to 162 cases per million. The CDC has it at 66.7 cases per million. The point I'm making is that this is completely and totally unacceptable to be uh, uh, wagering a campaign on vaccinating children when we have case numbers per million at baseline of, let's say, four that now the CDC is asking us to accept at 60 and Hogue is telling us it's 90 to 160 cases per million population. That is far too many. And we have a paper that answers the question of what happens uh, afterwards. What happens? What's the outcome? I've been asked this. Dr. McCullough, my 
my son or daughter developed myocarditis, what is the outcome? The paper I am quoting is by Karsten Shishopi and colleagues. It was published in Circulation Research in 2019, and the topic of the paper is management of myocarditis-related cardiomyopathy. Now, this is in adults, but I want to give you an idea of what we know, and um, this comes on figure one is a pie chart from a single center registry enrolled at Charity Hospital in Berlin. This is a very high-quality academic medical center in Berlin. I know it well. And here are the proportions of all individuals who develop myocarditis. And let's just say for argument's sake that vaccine-induced myocarditis is no different than this array of myocarditis, which is largely viral in adults. Here are the proportions. 27% of individuals had normal cardiac function. And this is what we see. The echo looks okay. They had chest pain, elevations in troponin, uh, EKG changes, but the uh, heart structurally looks fine, 27%. 26% of individuals recover. That means the heart pumping function was down and they recover back to normal. 34% cardiac pumping function is down, but it's improved, but it doesn't come back to normal. And then the worst category here is 13%. They are re remain impaired. They have impaired left ventricular systolic function. That proportion is too high. I've told you that we have 13,000 or more young people in America and those in the countries reporting through our system with vaccine-induced myocarditis to run a rate of 13% at risk for uh, basically permanent cardiac injury, potential heart failure, and potential cardiac death is far too high. Now, one of the questions that have come up is, can a patient with COVID-19 uh, the respiratory illness developed myocarditis. An important paper just weighed in by uh, George Joy, and this was published in the American Journal of Cardiology Imaging, uh, the 2021, uh, just a month or two ago. And the title of the paper is A Prospective Case Control Study of Cardiovascular Abnormality Six Months Following Mild COVID-19 in Healthcare Workers. And this is um, a group of individuals that was uh, carefully evaluated regarding uh, seropositivity, they did cardiac MRI, tissue characterization, detectable uh, biomarkers, and the bottom line is they established five primary and five secondary endpoints of does the virus damage the heart, the respiratory illness? Answer, no, no. So the respiratory illness does not cause a subclinical myocarditis as a point of routine. Uh, there are cases that have an elevated cardiac troponin in the ICU, people sick enough to be in the ICU with COVID-19, but that's the same that we see with pneumococcal pneumonia, staphylococcal pneumonia, uh, or other forms of sepsis. It's not unique to COVID-19. It's not associated with EKG changes, uh, not associated with uh, changes in uh, left or right ventricular dysfunction. And I can tell you, uh, there are papers and claims that have been put out there saying that uh, individuals are more likely to have myocarditis with the respiratory illness than the vaccine. And I can tell you those papers, in my view, have arrived at the wrong conclusion, and they are falsely trying to support the vaccine, which is rolling up a terrible safety profile in terms of myocarditis in young people. And it's probably the lipid nanoparticles that seed the heart and cause heart inflammation. I was recently on uh, a program with Dr. Brian Artis, uh, who's a doctor of chiropractic in Dallas, Texas, who's retired and he has his own TV program. And I commented on 
myocarditis, as he showed a montage of athletes, nearly 200 athletes now worldwide, that have died on the playing field across many different sports. Many of them are the high-intensity aerobic sports. Uh, nearly 200 of them uh, dying in sudden death. I can tell you as a cardiologist that athletes are screened for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy with EKG, with echocardiogram, physical exam, and we simply don't have deaths like that anymore with modern technology. And to have approaching 200 of these deaths MS does raise the issue, did they take the vaccine and then have subclinical symptoms and then uh, really violate the golden rule of treatment of myocarditis, which is rest. Patients with myocarditis are not allowed to have physical activity until the heart has rested. Many of them need evidence-based uh, beta blockers and ACE inhibitors to en enable left ventricular recovery. Some need colchicine uh, or, and or prednisone for uh, myocardial or pericardial inflammation. So they need treatment until they resolve the syndrome. And the concern is with all the soreness that athletes have, the pressure they have, the contracts, uh, they've been pressured to take the vaccine. If they complain to chest pain and were evaluated for myocarditis, that means basically the season is effectively over, that these individuals would have their careers end for that season because of vaccine-induced myocarditis. And therefore, it's possible they're playing through discomfort and then playing to the point where they actually have myocarditis-related sudden cardiac death. It's a hypothesis. In each and every case, we'd have to know, did they take the vaccine? When did they take the vaccine with, with respect to the, um, the de death event? But boy, if I was in sports right now, if I was a team doctor, I would be screening each and every athlete for subclinical and clinical myocarditis with EKGs, point-of-care troponin assays, history and physical exam, and when needed, cardiac ultrasound. So that is an update on myocarditis. Uh, we have a terrific program. On the back side, uh, we will bring on a wonderful sports fan, uh, Ahmad Aden from the Washington, D.C. area, who's done an analysis of sports figures and their um, relationship to the vaccine uh, and the difficulties they faced for those who have concerns about the vaccine or, in fact, have declined the vaccine. We'll learn a lot more as he's done his analysis and organized sports figures into different categories. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. I can tell you it's the end of a long day for me, hopefully getting close to the end of a long week. I've had a terrific week, by the way. I had a chance to spend three hours yesterday with legendary podcaster Joe Rogan. So look for me on the Joe Rogan uh, experience shortly. But I'm going to take my attentions and turn them before bedtime to Healthy Cell in order to reach my potential. Healthy Cell is a, a brand of, of basically gelled formulated uh, vitamins and supplements that are terrific for uh, our stresses in the COVID era. I'm holding the box for the REM sleep supplement. And it's a combination of calming herbs, amino acids, minerals, and sleep hormone support for the four stages of human sleep cycle. So we can stay asleep, fall asleep, sleep deep, and achieve REM sleep. Very importantly, falling asleep, what will help me tonight? Melatonin, lemon balm extract, and GABA. 
What's going to lower my body temperature? Well, it's going to be glycine, magnesium, and calcium. Deep lasting sleep is going to be there because it includes L-theanine, vitamin D, and vitamin B6. And lastly, creativity boosting REM sleep. That's what I really need. And that's 5-HTP, vitamin B6, and GABA. I can tell you these supplements really work. I'm going to take one as soon as I'm done making the show and get this submitted to the producers, Healthy Cell. Go to the website, HealthyCell.com, and uh, take a look at all the various supplements and zero in on the REM sleep supplement. I can tell you it's my favorite. I use it myself, and I have great success in recommending to my friends and those interested in getting a better quality of sleep for the best performance the next day. So go to HealthyCell.com and get uh, use the promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first purchase. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. And I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. You know, I've uh, been turned on to the idea initially by uh, Eric Clapton and now many of my fans who have basically said, Dr. McCullough, keep the music segment in the McCullough Report because music is basically a way of uh, depicting the sentiment of the times and some of the struggles we're having in the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, I'm just a doctor. I have um, really no skills in the musical arts, but I get wonderful uh, recordings coming in, some of them by original artists, some of them that are promoting other artists. This one was from Katie Morgan. Beautiful piece. Let's listen to it now. nothing on you because I've seen you touch the sun and your eyes are bright not cold and I've seen you like the snow think that she really wanted to say that uh, men like myself and others are trying to save the world. And I have to tell you, many times I do think that myself, that, boy, something has really come down on the earth. And it's up to people like me, like you listening, uh, and so many uh, others out there who are patriotic and love our country, love the world, to step into action and get this country back on the right track. Now, this next one came in from uh, Steve Heath, who's an attorney in Dallas, and he sent this along with the idea that, wait a minute, some of these older songs uh, really have some relevance today. So this one is from Jackson Brown and Joan Baez, to give you an idea of the date, and it's called Before the Deluge. This is live. Before the 
That's a really great one. Let the music keep our spirits high before the deluge. And the, the question is, what is going to be the deluge here? What is going to happen in the next few uh, weeks to months to years? Uh, how long will this go on? So I thought that was a great find by, uh, by Steve Heath. Keep the music coming. This next one came in from Robin Raptosh, who uh, took the time to send this idea uh, coming in for the music program on the McCullough Report. This is The Blessing with Carrie Job and Cody James live from Elevation Ballantine, the uh, Elevation Worship. Got together with Pastor Chris and Pastor Stephen on Thursday to just go in after the presence of God and try to pen lyric and melody. And after a couple of hours, it just felt like the presence of God just stopped everything. And we wrote a song called The Blessing. And it's straight from scripture. And it's the heart of the Father over us as his kids. And we're gonna sing it this morning if that's okay. And this is a blessing over you and your family and your children. So just receive this this morning. Just put your hands out in front of you. Turn your heart to a place of just receiving the blessing of heaven from God himself over you this morning. Lord bless you, 
make his face shine upon and be gracious to Lord turn face toward you and give you peace the Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you and be gracious to that's really pretty thank you so much for that one that was uh, terrific get us in the right type of mood to spiritually face uh, what what is going on right now in the world this next one is is interesting I can't remember who sent it in but the the album title is Tyson James American boy the the song name is vaxxed so let's take a listen Partially, but I wanna be all of me. I wanna be all of me. 
Wow, that is really something else. Uh, that needle took a part of me. I feel very weird now. Uh, you can imagine how young people feel. They're facing the specter of taking this vaccine. They have no interest in taking, and it's taking a tremendous toll on our youth as they struggle with this issue. They can't understand why they are not getting transparency on safety and efficacy and how this is being pushed on them without any concern for their personal health. Now, this next and last one I'm going to share with you is far and away the one that gets uh, recommended to me or gets sent in as a suggestion from fans. I've played it before, and uh, I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to play a little bit of it because of the fact that it is on people's mind. It's Welcome to the Revolution by High Res and Jimmy Levy. Let's listen in just for a few beats. Well, I think that says it all. We will not comply. And, uh, you know, you look at the graphics of these videos, at least some of these people really have a sense of what's going on. Uh, they are not seeing the data on safety and efficacy. They are not things, seeing things presented fairly. And at least some of these young people in these videos understand that the vaccines for them only offer the opportunity for harm and not the opportunity for benefit. What a struggle our youth are in any free fall situation where there's been loss of confidence in our public health agencies. Uh, there really is uh, malfeasance by those in position of authority and propaganda put out by those uh, in a position of authority. And will our young people take it? And for how long? Uh, there's a struggle in the United States, and I tell you, it is a battle, if not a war, elsewhere in the world. Well, I wanted to bring this music segment to you. Please keep them coming. Uh, to You can reach me on through the website, America Out Loud Talk Radio, and send in a few comments. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. You know, I have to put a good word in for Healthy Cell. They have three lines of products that I've been using now for months. One is Immune Super Boost, which is a daily supplement designed to supercharge your immunity. And boy, do we need this now with COVID-19 and the revelation that the COVID-19 spike protein could be in our body for a year and a half after the illness or 
after vaccination. The next product is focus and memory. And again, this brain fog that happens in the long COVID syndrome and even occurs in the post-vaccination syndrome appears to be really calling for uh, a lot of the essential ingredients in the focus product for healthy cell. And then lastly, my favorite product is the sleep product. The REM sleep uh, healthy cell product has a wonderful blend of uh, combinations of key elements to restore normal sleep architecture. It's very important. It's different than getting uh, put to sleep or forced to sleep. Getting a healthy sleep and having normal sleep architecture is quality sleep. And when we have good quality sleep, we have lower stress hormones during the day. We feel better. And I'm telling you, I'm not going to bed tonight until I've taken my Healthy Cell REM sleep product. So go to HealthyCell.com and when you order, hit the promo box and type in out loud. That will give you a 20% discount off the products. Uh, try them. Uh, try a box. Try all three and do your own self-assessment. I know I've, I've done it. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. It was a vision that gave birth to a unique multimedia platform that would combine classic talk radio, great writers, and memorable podcasts and videos. AmericaOutloud.com is a conservative leader in a field that is predominantly run by far-left progressive globalists. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's my great pleasure to welcome to the show the first time, Mr. Ahmad Aden. Ahmad is a graduate of Texas A&M University School of Engineering, and he is an engineer in the Washington, D.C. area. And the reason why I've asked him to come on the show is he's done some great background work in a phenomenon that we're seeing uh, in our sports. And it has to do with the influence of COVID-19, the respiratory illness, as well as the vaccine on athletes in terms of their ability to play, who's getting sick, who's not getting sick, and who's taking the vaccine, and who isn't taking the vaccine, and who's going to subscribe to the boosters. And Ahmed, what does all this mean to sports? What have you found out? Well, you know, Dr. McCullough, um, it's a pleasure be, to be on the show. I uh, just wanted to say I'm a, uh, I'm a sports fan. So I'm, you know, coming at this, you know, obviously, I don't have a medical background, but I'm just coming at this from a, a sports fan who has sort of been observing this issue and noticing the disruption that COVID-19 and the, the surrounding protocols and uh, strategies have had on basically the lives of uh, the players, you know, first of all, as well as the uh, sports fans, you know, sports fans are really used to uh, basically the best competing up against the best. Um, uh, one of the real almost uh, true meritocracies, you know, of athletic competition in um, various sports, be it, you know, NFL, basketball, uh, swimming, golf, anything. And so um, I, I started to notice that, uh, there were, you know, a lot of uh, sports fans were puzzled with um, how this was being handled, um, how, you know, what the sort of mandates and the, the overhead um, that COVID-19 has placed on just the 
general athletic competition. Um, nobody can make sense of the rules. They uh, arbitrarily appear different for vaccinated versus uh, unvaccinated. They actually don't, in, don't take into consideration at all people who've recovered you know, from, uh, from COVID-19 uh, via you know, natural immunity. And there's no mention of risk stratification. Early on in the pandemic, we were told that if you were older, had you know, pre-existing conditions, you, you know, led a lifestyle that um, led you to some of these uh, conditions like diabetes or um, you know, high blood pressure, hypertension, that, and you were older, that you were at much higher risk, which then followed that if you were not those things, you would have been at much lower risk. Uh, I can't think of a, uh, a more uh, physically fit um, demographic than professional athletes. So the fact that they were handling it as if, as if it was something that was really just going to uh, decimate whole teams was, was really completely puzzling. And, uh, you know, there's even airtime now with sports fans and uh, uh, with, with uh, athletes, you know, such as, you know, just to name a few. You've done a great analysis and I want our uh, viewers to understand this um, in terms of organizing it into categories. And I was wondering if we could just go in the categories in, in order. So the first one mm -hmm. I'm reading here, that you've produced is fired coaches and staff over the vaccine. Exactly. So, you know, one of the most prominent ones was the actual head coach for Washington, uh, the Washington football team, uh, college football team, Nick Rolovich, and apparently four assistants were fired over the COVID-19 uh, vaccine mandate. Um, there's uh, several other examples. Um, there is a, a, a journalist, uh, um, who worked for ESPN, Allison Williams, had to part ways with, you know, CNN over, uh, with uh, ESPN over uh, the vaccine refusal. Um, you know, it, there there doesn't seem to be. Uh, I mean, there's 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 a complete list of them. We had a New York college basketball coach lose a job over a vaccine mandate. A former Texans coach fired. Um, he ultimately got rehired by the Vikings, but the, you know, there was one that was hired. Uh, there's just a ton of them. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and read down the list. Keep going. Mm -hmm. So we have um, Navy assistant coach Billy Ray Stutzman fired after failing to receive, receive exemption for COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, Patriots assistant coach is second NFL coach to be fired after refusing vaccine. Um, it, it got to a point where the very uh, decorated and illustrious um, Bill Belichick of the uh, Patriots, head coach of the Patriots, uh, actually had to say that uh, the COVID, uh, the the, the, the number of people testing positive for COVID after being fully vaccinated was very high. Um, you know, we have, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we've got, you know, people losing jobs or other sort of, um, you know, contract extensions, you know, over that. Uh, then we have the, the category of um, athletes who are vaccine hesitant. And, uh, you know, oftentimes these are the athletes that are, you know, at the top of their uh, sport, um, you know, the list we have comprises uh, athletes from swimming, uh, NBA, track and field, you know, the NFL and even golf, you know, so we have, um, um, you know, we, we've had the uh, Indianapolis Colts NFL quarterback Carson Wentz uh, having to explain himself live, you know, for, for, for his decision not to be vaccinated. We've got the NFL Baltimore Ravens, former league MVP, Lamar Jackson, um, Avoiding, you know, questions on vaccine, on vaccination, and even uh, 
even calling out uh, HIPAA rights violations, you know, over, you know, constantly being harassed uh, for, for, for his, you know, vaccine status. And these are sports reporters, you know, so they're not really medical journalists or they're not, you know, people who are really even qualified to have a conversation with, with, with an athlete on, you know, medical issues, but, you know, they are being um, interrogated in this way. We have a, a Jamaican gold medalist, uh, Johan Blake, who is a multi uh, um, multi-gold medalist um, saying he would rather miss out on the Olympics than get the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, that's, and that's track and field. Um, you know, we have U.S. Olympic swimming world champion Michael Andrew saying he wouldn't be vaccinated for Tokyo Olympics. And that's also a gold medalist, I believe, a record holder. Um, you've covered Cold Beasley before uh, in, in, in one of your shows as a you know, Buffalo Bills wide receiver saying he would rather retire than get the COVID vaccine. Um, another player, Den uh, Denver Nuggets, um, saying he doesn't feel comfortable with the vaccine. Um, and, and, you know, the list, the list goes on. Uh, the, the common thing with some of these players who, and, and we obviously know about Aaron Rodgers uh, himself, another, um, you know, all-star quarterback, uh, very, uh, very successful, very well-known, um, capable quarterback who pretty much was, was on the hot spot for his decisions with regarding not getting vaccines. And we also have, uh, you know, um, I, I would probably say one of the most prominent is uh, Kyrie Irving, who is an NBA champion, Olympic gold medalist, uh, NBA um, uh, all-star, NBA MVP, easily one of the most uh, dynamic and electrifying NBA players who openly refuses to get the vaccine and is actually benched without pay, not even able to, um, um, not even able to practice with his team on on simply the not not that he's tested positive for COVID or anything like that, but, but just for the fact that he said that he'd rather not get the vaccine. Um, you know, I can assure you in Brooklyn, a lot of fans bought season tickets just to watch, you know, him play in particular. He's that, you know, dynamic and electrifying. And uh, these are fans whose uh, sports uh, plans are completely upended. You know, on the other hand, um, after a lot of intense speculation and effectively ostensibly pressure, LeBron James, who was a uh, uh, teammate of Kyrie Irving, he ended up getting the vaccine. But as of re recently, over the last uh, you know few days, he apparently was test. Uh, he apparently had a what they call a false positive test, and uh, he had to sit out some games. So he was actually very annoyed at the fact that after having get, gotten the vaccine, he still had to go through these sort of arbitrary um, uh, COVID protocols, which, you know, you're the doctor, but they don't really appear to be uh, rooted in, in any sort of uh, 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 method, um, you know. And so, uh, you know, as coming at this from a sports fan, you know, there the question is being raised, who is being protected with these protocols? Who, who are these measures? Um, uh, how are they helping the sport? Because on any given Sunday or, or, or sports night, uh, somebody could be out, a, a very important player could be out due to these arbitrary measures. And that actually affects the, um, the game in a very significant way. Um, one of the things I didn't cover was a, um, uh, a golfer who was probably slated to actually win a tournament um, actually wasn't allowed to compete because of you know the lack of vaccine. So this is costing uh, athletes millions and millions of dollars. 
Um, and for athletes who really spend, you know, millions of dollars on their health, their performance, their bodies uh, are at the, at the you know, cream of the crop with, with regards to human fitness, um, we're not really giving them the ability to do what they think is right for their bodies, which they've been, which they've been honing and tuning for, for years. And um, the fact that they have such a very short uh, uh, career, um, relatively speaking, you know, athletes really, you know, make their livelihood with, with, with being in peak physical condition. And the fact that they're being uh, forced to, you know, um, sit out a lot, maybe large, por a, a significant portion of their career, or, or to have the fates of, you know, championships decided on these arbitrary COVID-19 uh, vaccines really threatens, you know, a, a, a true meritocracy, which is athletic competition. Well, let me ask you, you have a couple more categories. I wanted to pick up on this for the <laughs> listeners. One is COVID recovered athletes getting pressured into getting vaccinated. NBA Orlando uh, Magic Jonathan Isaac, who recovered from COVID-19, defended himself. You have NBA Washington Wizards, who's COVID recovered. Uh, Bradley Beal. Yes, Bradley Beal. Right. And then Atlanta Hawks star Brandon Goodwin relates the story of getting blood clots and ending the season, possibly a square. Was that due to the vaccine? He he uh, uh, completely attributes it to the vaccine. And uh, he says after he got his vaccine, he's he he was getting winded. He's having issues with health. And when, when he was being investigated, when they uh, looked into him, he started uh, he reported that there were blood clots. Well, I tell you that the athletes, uh, you know, they communicate with one another and they they have to look after their health health. And uh, this last status is, uh, you know, out of desperation, you have a category here. It says players forced to lie or forge vaccine status. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so there's, um, uh, you know, a couple uh, reports that, that have actually shown that uh, some um, some athletes are resorting to forging their vaccine status, you know, and, and this isn't just in one particular sport. We had a, a recent case, uh, uh, Ant Antonio Brown, who plays for the Tampa Bay ba uh, Buccaneers. Uh, among him, uh, Antonio Brown, and among, uh, among three NFL players suspended for uh, misrepresenting COVID-19 vaccine status. Uh, we have an NHL player, um, uh, Evander Kanj, uh, suspended for a fake vaccination. Uh, there was also an article I came across, which was a report that said 10 to 15% of NFL players are actually using bogus uh, COVID-19 vaccine cards. And uh, there was a case of a, um, a coach in uh, Europe, I, I believe in Germany, who the Bundesliga, who um, quit over um, um, some sort of scandal with using a fake COVID vaccine certificate. So, um, you know, there, there, are, uh, there are a lot of people who are choosing to avoid the, um, the vaccine uh, in, uh, uh, trials, uh, so to speak, by just forging a vaccine vaccine card. So, it, it does it really even serve um, a, a certification status in any real sense? Um, well, going there, back to yeah, yeah, they may feel it's a it's an unfair game that nobody's playing fair, and so they're not going to uh, play fair uh, otherwise. But you know, since you got over to Europe, I wanted to ask you: Have you been paying attention to this montage of athletes? I think soccer, rugby. Um, Australian, have you have you seen the montage of these deaths on the field? 
Yes, yes. There, there have been reports. Uh, you know, a, a, I mean, there have been several videos that have been circulating that just show a lot of these, you know, athletes just um, collapsing on on the pitch, and uh, it's everything from you know cricket to um, to you know soccer, you know, European football, and uh, you would have you would have imagined that you know for a player um, who who gets screened for so many um, like genetic conditions or something like that, you would have imagined that you know, this would be very rare, but it seems to be happening very uh, commonly. And as I've learned on your show, there are a lot of uh, cardiac uh, um, side effects associated with with the vaccine. So um, my guess is that the players are not willing to take chances on 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 a brand new vaccine and willing to take their chances, considering their um, youth and their health and their just robust, um, you know, physical conditions. Well, it's true. You can imagine that COVID-19 respiratory illness uh, would be a very minor threat to an athlete. Uh, the vaccine relatively would be a much more serious threat. Probably none of them feel comfortable. I wanted to juxtapose, and I, I became aware of this as I was preparing for another uh, TV show with Dr. Brian Artis, who's very familiar with uh, sports and sports drinks. And you're right, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is screened out as the leading condition of uh, sudden death on the field. Nowadays, all the athletes get EKGs and echocardiograms. But what artists pointed out was that Aaron Rodgers uh, declined taking the vaccine and it wasn't public. So it's not like, you know, it's not like everybody knew that Aaron Rodgers didn't take the vaccine. So there must be some type of non-disclosure methods they're doing where the athletes can, in a sense, assent to whatever the team policy is, but then personally opt out of taking the vaccine. He gets COVID-19, he gets symptomatic, he gets early treatment with the monoclonal antibodies, ivermectin, the other drugs was called sequence multidrug therapy. And he gets over it in a few days and he does his, his case contact tracing, doesn't spread it to anyone. Um, ben Roethlisberger, Pittsburgh Steelers uh, quarterback, uh, it, it vaccinated November 5th, gets COVID-19 before the end of uh, November. Uh, it, it has a spreading event either to his father or from his father. So there's two people involved. And then he has to uh, uh, sit out. Um, I, I'm not sure about his treatment status, but it's interesting. Aaron Rodgers had to sit out a much longer period of time and pay a giant fine, several hundred thousand dollars. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, who took the vaccine, had to stay out a much shorter period of time and I think had no fine. And so I think the theme of what you reviewed for us in these categories and these two case examples point out is that this is actually punitive, that this Absolutely. is this is meant to cause damage or injury to the athletes in some way. It's forcing them to make make a decision that they should take the vaccine, and um, you know th that appears to also be the double standard for um, uh, the NFL. Um, so you know, I I came across an article on the NFL.com website that listed. Um, if a vaccinated person tests positive and is asymptomatic, he or she will be isolated and contract tracing will promptly occur. The positive individual will be permitted to return to duty after two negative tests at least 24 hours apart and thereafter will be tested every two weeks or as directed by the medical staff. If an unvaccinated person tests positive, the protocols from 2020 will remain in effect. The person will be isolated for a period of 10 days and will then be permitted to return to duty if asymptomatic. Unvaccinated officials will continue to be subject to a five-day quarantine period. 
if they have close contact with an infected if, uh, uh, individual. So we're talking 48 hours versus 10 days for a vaccinated person versus an unvaccinated person who tests positive. And, you know, learning some of the things that I learned from your show, um, if you can get it, if you can get get the vaccine and can still spread it and can still get infected, you, you, you know, logic would have you think that you should be quarantined for the same amount of time. But it, it seems like, you know, the, the punitive effect is maybe getting you to miss two games and out of a 16 game NBA, uh, NFL season, that, that's, that's pretty significant. It puts a a lot of peer pressure on the person to get vaccinated because um, you know you have you have all these uh, pressure tactics like uh, telling the um, uh, telling the player your team depends on you you're letting your team down um, you're not being a team player um, you know a lot of these things which you know why uh, wears wears down on the person um, you know some of these uh, individual sports you know they 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 don't have that pressure you know like I mentioned the the swimming. Uh, uh, the, the swimmer, Michael Andrew, I mean, he's an individual swimmer. If, if he says, I'm not going to get vaccinated, well, you know, it, they can't put the whole team to pressure to bear on him. So, right. you know, and also if we look at, say, um, the Washington Wizards star, Bradley Beal, on a particular, you know, famous clip, he actually went to, he actually um, said, well, first of all, I got COVID. Secondly, I would like you to tell me, since you're vaccinated, can't you still get it? can't you still transmit it you know so you've got you've got uh, uh uh you know you know athletes you know forcing to take time away from their craft to to to, to really you know understand the facts and they themselves are perplexed you know as an anecdote uh since you mentioned aaron Rodgers in uh, early treatment um you know i actually contracted covid 19 myself while overseas in in august you know so i experienced firsthand the the, the power of early treatment um, I took a number of things. Um, you know, I, I, I made sure my vitamin D levels were high. I had vitamin C, zinc, quercetin, and acetylcysteine. I was on a prophylactic ivermectin. And when I realized we were infected, um, I, I, I upped the dose as per the, you know, FLCCC um, guidance at the time. And uh, to be totally honest, I mean, I, I felt run down for a little bit, but uh, I didn't even lose taste or smell. Um, my, my wife, who, who wasn't taking that ended up losing taste or smell, but, you know, she also got on the, um, on, on a lot of the, you know, the, the vitamins. So you could say, uh, we kind of threw the kitchen sink at it as well as <laughs> Dr. Joe Rogan would say, um, uh, with, with, you know, and, and this is what we did with just the means that we had, which are meager compared to a lot of these athletes and their right. capability to get access to, you know, early treatment. So the fact that early treatments um, with all the money they spend, um, the teams and the athletic institutions with all the money they spend on athletes, you would think that they would have a better early treatment regimen if, if they wanted to keep the sport viable. Right. True. I think the two major things to uh, uh, take home for the, anybody listening here in sports is, have early treatment protocols available and uh, and clearly know who's COVID recovered and who's not. COVID recovered uh, do not need the vaccine. They're not susceptible. You can plan your A team, uh, B team uh, from that. And as far as I've talked to several people familiar with what's going on in the sports teams, they're not even keeping track who's had COVID-19. The other big thing is to figure out you know, false positive testing versus symptomatic testing. They should only be testing individuals who are symptomatically, uh, you know, having symptoms of COVID-19, not just routinely testing, because we know that 90, up to 97% of 
the tests when they're positive are false positive tests. I'm really glad to hear you got early treatment. You got through it. I had a patient today in the office who also recently had COVID-19. She was on prophylaxis. And when she got it like you, she had a milder case. So um, I'm encouraged to hear that. The principles work. Uh, um, uh, and I'm clearly, I'm clearly not as as physically gifted as a Kyrie Irving or a Aaron Rodgers, you know, so if, if, if it can help me, I'm, I, I couldn't make my high school football team or basketball team. So, you know, we're, we're dealing with a different level of, you know, athleticism. And, and I'm happy to say that, you know, it made a, you know, tremendous impact on, on my end. Well, you, you know, you know, now you don't need a mask, you don't need a vaccine, it's over with it for you. Your immunity is robust, complete and durable. Thank you so much for joining us on the McCullough Report. Thank you. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report.